You're listening to the Pool Proof Wisdom Podcast, where we bring our authentic selves, refuse to raise grown folks, and share wisdom you can use. With your host, Charles K. Pool. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is someone I'm very excited to talk about and talk with. Jane Davis is the kind of creative spark who helps others realize the impossible. We met and worked together on more projects than I can even count when we were both based in St. Louis many years ago working for Anheuser-Busch. Her infectious energy, keen insights, and tremendous drive earned my trust and respect, and so it is with all her many clients to this day. Now a director and producer based in Atlanta, Jane is owner of Hype Girl Creative, a full-service production house that produces video content. The company collaborates with an extensive network of creative talent across the country and curates a custom team for each project the company takes on, thereby helping customers meet their goals and exceed even their own expectations. Jane considers her work professional storytelling, and focuses on helping bringing a brand story to life in an engaging and impactful way. And for more than 20 years of living her passion, working in the production industry, she's aligned her creative instincts with an astute business acumen that helps her remain a successful business owner to this day. As a woman who owns and operates a business, Jane is one of more than 11.6 million women who own businesses in the United States, according to the National Association of Women Business Owners, 5.4 million of which are majority owned by women of color. A self-described army brat of Korean heritage, Jane says that the opportunity her experiences have provided her to travel and be exposed to many cultures still influence her today. In fact, from the moment she first picked up her family's camcorder as a kid, she says, she was immediately obsessed with creating videos and telling stories through the lens of a camera. Prior to forming Hype Girl Creative, Jane held a variety of roles supporting production and post-production efforts for major brands. Throughout her creative career, brand-driven storytelling became her specialty, working on commercials, corporate communications, and integrated content across a variety of industries for clients that include Anheuser-Busch, Pizza Hut, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Undeniably Dairy, Citibank, and a number of other diverse companies. To quote her approach to her work, Jane says, quote, from a rough outline to the final deliverable, I'm dedicated to every step of the process. I partner with artists and brands to build on existing ideas, create original concepts, or get where I fit in and function as the production guru to an already well-oiled machine. Well said, Jane. Well said. Since she works across multiple industries and categories, it's always been important to her to be, quote, a sponge and absorb as much information as possible. Jane frequently says that one of the best parts about her work is that she gets to learn just enough to be dangerous. And therefore, in a pinch, she says that she can honestly think that she could brew beer, make artisan mozzarella cheese, conduct a mortgage closing, and (laughs) even deliver a baby. Remember, she did say that that would be in a pinch. Now, I tend to believe she could do any of these things and more. 
As a creative who also operates a business, she's had to learn a lot about the business side of her work on the fly and has done so and remains standing because she is a quick study and learns from everyone with whom she engages about everything that she can. In her collaborations with premier brands, agencies, and production companies, she has worked with countless talented and professional individuals from whom she's learned a great deal in terms of how to professionally grow and whom she has come to admire. And today, we're going to discuss how, with Hype Girl, Jane has been able to keep the importance of having a creative community of creators and storytellers as the foundation of her business model, while also seeking to evolve and grow as a business. It's a compelling story, and I'm so looking forward to learning more about her journey so far and why she believes so fervently that she cannot do what she does without collaborating with amazing teams and individuals. We're about to find out. Hey, Jane, good morning, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And how, gosh, how long has it been since you and I have probably seen each other. I don't even know. You know what? It was in Vegas. That would in be, 2019, right? Was it that recent? I I think for your for your for birthday. birthday, right? Okay. Yeah. I've oh, lost. that was that was such <laughs> a fun trip and such a great group. It's it was. I mean, that's why I remember it was like you know such an unforgettable <laughs> time, and it was we did Vegas right. Well, you know, Vegas is a little wonky. You never know. You got to, you know, pace yourself. But when we celebrated your birthday, we did it right. <laughs> that know, was the way to wonderful. do it. I mean, of course, it's Charles Poole. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that we when we went there and now that you mentioned the date, it all comes back to me because I normally need a reference point before I can remember things these days. I'm like, when was that? <laughs> but thanks for that. Hey, but, before COVID is oh a big gosh, reference point yeah. always the, now, yeah, right? He <laughs> has entirely different meaning now. But yeah, when we went to Vegas to do that, we did it like grown folks. We were not newbies. So that made all the difference of the world. So, you know, the thing that I wanted to talk with you about today is about the fact that you are this wonderful, creative business owner who is a woman. And I don't see that necessarily in terms of there being any type of negative connotation to it because you've never seen it that way. But I want to go back a little bit. When we initially met, uh, I was working with Anheuser-Busch, you were working with Anheuser-Busch, and we were able to find the path to getting to work together because we started in the area that I was working in doing a lot of creative events and activities that necessarily needed to be recorded and shared. And I needed a creative partner who could help bring to fruition those ideas. And you and I met and we worked together. And even though they had other people, anytime I had anything after that, I was like, I know I prefer to work with Jay. (laughs) So that's how that came into being. But I want you to talk to me about your path to getting involved in creative endeavors. And then from there, a little bit about how once you decided that this was your life's work, you decided Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just going to be something that you did for other people, but would make a business out of. Well, you know, I, you know, as you know, I knew early on what I wanted to do. Um, And it was just simply finding, you know, there's always that 
that journey you take of like, where do you, what's your passion? And, and some people don't, some people have passions and it's not necessarily a career. Mm. Um, and so for me, I was pretty lucky just like having a childhood where my mom was, you know, one of those people that she wanted me and my brother to try everything like sports, like try all the sports, see what you like. And, um, and so even, just like always encouraging us that we could do whatever we wanted to. And so, you know, having an older brother, always wanting to like play, like, you know, I play, played with GI Joes over Barbies. And so I had more guy friends than girlfriends when I was a kid, just because of, I hung out with my brother's friends. And then as I started to get older, you know, it's like the combination of me picking up that first camcorder and, you know, I started shooting like videos when my friends and I would hang out and we, you know, have little parties. And then I started to, I found a way, like it got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, I just have all this footage on this VHS tape. What can, what's it, you know, just playing it long all the way through of just like us having a pool party or somebody's birthday party it was just, it wasn't as interesting. So I learned how to connect it to the VCR and I learned to edit a montage of my friends and I hanging out and then I would play it for them. And so I think it just like in my childhood, I was always surrounded by really good storytellers and just kind of observed. So I think, you know, being surrounded by storytellers and being surrounded by people that were observers Mm. and you find that you're connected to those people and what you like about them. And that's one of the things about you. Like I knew right away early on meeting you, you're an observer Mm. and that just makes conversations more interesting. And so I took that and just kind of when it got to like, you know, college and like what you wanted to do, it was just a matter of how do I do what I really enjoy doing and make money doing it? Mm -hmm. And so I just did the path of, you know, going to college, you know, had a communications major and you start learning right away in that industry. Of course, this was a long time ago um, that (laughs) even in my classes, in a production classes, I would be one of two girls Mm -hmm. in a big classroom of just all guys and, and I think it's just all the things you learn in your childhood where, you know, it wasn't intimidating to me because at the end of the day, I was a shy kid growing up, like really shy. And my mom did what she could to, as a friend of mine, who's a child psychologist said, she gave me survival skills. Um, I think that between that combination and then being in a classroom with all guys, it wasn't intimidating because at that point I was kind of like, I accept this challenge mm, I got you. because why not, mm-hmm. you know, like why not be the, the one that's a little different, mm-hmm. you know, like in a room full of guys, it's, you've got two girls and, and the other girl's name was Sharice and her and I, we knew mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is, this is going to be how it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that from that point, it's like you accept that challenge, but you got to fully accept that challenge. So I think that from my mentality, I wanted to, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to be working with men, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give it like that overwhelming thought to where it's going to intimidate me. I'm just going to do whatever I can to learn everything I can Mm -hmm. so that when I go into a production 
it's very clear from the beginning, I know what I'm doing. And I think that men or women, no matter what, you're going to universally respect someone that has confidence in everyone's ability Mm -hmm. and knows how to get the information that we need to get. And, you know, it's like all the little things where it's like learning the production equipment, learning what kind of cameras, all the technical things. I remember at a young age when I would be in a room with a new group of crew members that were all men. And so for me, it's important for them to know that, hey, you know, I get it. There's there's a, you know, the name producer sometimes is a full realm of Sometimes you get a good producer. Sometimes you just get somebody that they just give them that label. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in defense of those crew members, there's a reason those stereotypes exist. So for me, it's just always important that right off the bat, we talk about gear. Mm -hmm. We talk about those important things that make a production run really well. And that's all it is. It's just letting them know that, hey, you know, and and it doesn't need to be like ego driven. It's just you can show your confidence by just setting the tone of what how the production is going to be run. And so that's kind of how I have just evolved. And, you know, listen, I've been on bad video productions where the director is a total asshole. And so you learn and watch, like, that's how I don't want to be. Or you watch somebody that is really good at what they do. And you're like, that's how I want to be. Like, that's the kind of person I want to be on set. And those are all things at a young age. I just, you know, absorbed information. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of how I've carried my career. And, you know, of course, I've had a lot of great support along the Mm -hmm. way. Let's talk a little bit about that confidence, because as a child coming up, being surrounded by great storytellers is one thing, because you can look at them and say, wow, they tell great stories. But when do you make the transition where, aside from loving recording things, videoing, these types of you know, things that you're coming across, that you have this realization that says, you know what, I'm really good at this. When did that happen for you? I think that it happened, I I honestly think like later on when I was, you know, even after college, Mm -hmm. when I started to, you know, like college and before college, you're just learning, you're just trying to learn and you don't really even know like what it is that makes you special at what Mm -hmm. you do or makes you unique at what you do until you're in it. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, like, one of the things that I probably early on, just like when you, I didn't have a chance early on to be the person that would necessarily be in control of the edits. Cause early on in the production industry, I was like a PA or a production coordinator and learning all the other things that I thought I should know if I'm going to somehow run a crew and, and run a production. Um, so, so that all happened early on. And then I think for me, it wasn't until I really started doing stuff for Anheuser-Busch, to be totally honest, it, because everything else up until that point was just running productions and then helping other director or producers finish and edit. Mm. So I didn't really have much control of the storytelling mm. aspect, but I always knew that I'm doing all of this to get to that. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's the thing is I always knew I wanted to do that. I don't think I knew if I was good 
or not until I started to do things for Anheuser-Busch where it was, you know, before, before the, it had the sexy name branded content, um, you know, we did a lot of stuff and, and it was a lot of times it was just wholesaler stories, beer driven market marketing driven. And I do think Charles that you and I have never, I mean, we're having this conversation for the first time. I think that it was you, (laughs) you know, I mean, think about, think about when we started doing stuff in your department, that was when we were doing a lot of the things like the fundraising events that Anheuser-Busch would sponsor. And so the stories for me, it was turned slightly from more of the marketing aspect and glorious montages that, hey, even my montages have a story to them. Right. But the the stories of people, it, it the first real opportunity I had with that was working for your department. And that was, you know, the Holly Rod um, Foundation. Um, there was a art foundation in Miami right. with uh, Russell Simmons. And mm-hmm. I think you had Michael on your podcast. You know, I remembered him from that. Um, and then just a few of those where it was a little deeper. It was more than just a beer company that's marketing great products. It was the stories of the support that Anheuser-Busch was giving these foundations and learning what those foundations were about and the importance of it. And so then it's like, for me, I was I had to translate how can I show really the importance of this and give people that feeling of, you know, this is important. This means something. Look at what we're doing, you know, and, and that to me, I, I think that that was like my first real opportunity to create those kinds of stories. And then, of course, when I show you for approval and then you would have the responses that you would have, it was like the first time I really genuinely got like oh like that that makes me feel good that it made you feel good and everybody else that saw it obviously that was something that I really really enjoyed and man I wanted to do more of that kind of storytelling well that's a surprise to me and for listeners that is not a paid endorsement (laughs) I I know (laughs) I did not pay Jane to say that about me I did not know it was happening I swear but I am very, very happy to hear that. But I do want to go back a little bit further because, see, for me, this is what I know. Long before you were in school, long before you were even in the professional realm of actually doing these things, there was some point where little Jane, eight years old, nine years old, somehow realized with all of those interests that she had for storytelling, for videotaping and all these types of things, that there was something about it that not only made you happy, but compelled you to keep doing it. Now, I'll illustrate that in a personal way. Even though I ended up doing something completely different than what I'd spent all of my childhood preparing for, I was a science nerd. I was going to be a doctor and literally went through that process up until the time that I was in my third year of college, about to take the MCAT to gain admission to medical school, when I said, I don't want to do this. But everything before then was, you're going to be a doctor. This is what it takes to do it. And I'm still a science nerd, but it's not my passion. But for you, early on, 
that mm -hmm. switch was flipped. You knew what your passion was. As much as I lay claim to doing what I love for a profession for a very long time now, you've known what your first love is professionally longer than I ever have. And it's that thing that I'm trying to get to is that when you were that little Jane, you know, a kid who was just playing and doing things, do you even know what that impetus was that helped you flip that switch that let you know that someday when I grow up, I'm going to be doing this? I, so ever since I was a kid, there were, I had like, a few passions of just being a person that I loved music. I loved movies. I mean, I, you know, my, my parents were pretty, you know, they, they weren't overly strict about like what kind of movie we could watch. I mean, they tried, but I think at the same time, my parents were really strict with so many things. Okay. My brother and I just like growing up that I think there were some things they would just give. Right. And so like on the weekends, my brother and I, we would watch those old school, like Kung Fu master movies, mm -hmm. like on USA. Yeah. And, and then I was like the star Wars, you know, just those kinds of, big movies that we all grew up on. I loved the movies right. and I loved music. And so I think for me, I just always loved the, even, you know, the little glimpses, cause we didn't have social media. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all that stuff to know the behind the scenes, but whenever we would watch something where you'd get a glimpse of behind the scenes of what it took to create that, mm -hmm. that to me was like this, I was so interested mm -hmm. in that because you've got this product that looks amazing, but you know, something we all know in production, the behind the scenes production stuff is not that sexy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, right, right. um, I mean, we, we make it, we all make it look cool and, mm. you know, it is a, it's, it is a very cool thing to be a part of, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it is not that sexy. And but I loved it. And I was always interested in those behind the scene moments. And then I think that when I got to that point of the old school camcorder that, you know, the mm. pops, the tape VHS oh, popped yeah. up off the side. <laughs> for me, that was kind of like, ooh, look at me. I've right. got a camcorder. Uh -huh. um, not that I really tried to like make movies, movies as a right. kid. But at the same time, it was like a way for me to channel what I thought was so cool as a kid. And then I think that that just took, had that snowball effect ultimately. I, I want to posit something here, and then we're going to get back to the whole issue about confidence again. But, you know, I believe that in all of us, there are things that we don't know about ourselves that are revealed to us because we are so busy living our lives as we live it, we're not paying attention. It seems to me, and I'm just going to you know, spitball this, but the understanding that you knew what your passion was from a young age seems very much present based on the story that you've shared. You didn't know that's what you were necessarily going to be doing. You just knew that you loved it. But somewhere along the line, you made this decision that you didn't just want to love it, 
but you wanted to take what you were able to do and turn into something tangible that you knew everything about, hence the going to the school and studying and this type of thing. And then when you get to the point where you're actually in that professional realm, I don't even think you know this now, but your confidence is born of that early on understanding that the medium and the opportunities it provided you to reflect what you saw going on in the world around you was literally all the confidence that you really ever need. The other elements, obviously, that are associated with who you are and you know the world in which we live, they didn't come into play because you had that spark early on that says, this is what I love, this is what I'm going to learn to do better, and you did it. Is that fair in terms of yeah. identifying? I do. Yeah. I think so. And, and you know, I think about it like in a, in so many ways, like how much just doing what I do mm-hmm. has helped me in so many ways too, because I, you know, I mentioned earlier when I was a kid, I was like incredibly shy. Mm-hmm. Like I was the kid when I, my, my mom and dad will tell this story that when I was in kindergarten, that um, they had Santa Claus it was Christmas time. They had Santa Claus there and, and all the, and they invited parents and all the kids lined up to go sit on Santa's lap, take a picture. And my parents were there and they're looking in the line and they don't see me. And so my mom is like, where's Jane? Where's Jane? And then she's looking around and I'm like in the back corner (laughs) sitting by myself (laughs) And so now, you know, of course, anybody that knows me, they're like, what you're, you were shy as a kid. And, and my mom was like immediately alarmed, Mm -hmm. like what, like, she's not like this at home. Like she's not this shy at home. Mm -hmm. And so she, you know, went and got me like, come on and encourage me to get in line and go take a picture with Santa. And then afterwards she spoke to teachers and the, my teacher said, you know, Jane, like she hardly speaks in class. Like she doesn't talk to anybody. She is very shy. And so my mom was concerned and just said, look, she's not like this in school. Can I come into, so she had this whole plan worked out with the teacher that she was going to come to class like twice a week volunteer as a tutor, Uh, work with kids. mm -hmm. I wasn't in her group and we would just, but just having her there helped me get confidence. And so of course, like when you say like, there are things that you don't even know about yourself Mm -hmm. until way later on, I was, you know, of course appreciated my mom for doing that. And then my mom taught me things like when you're walking, you know, like, I feel like she had a lot to do with instilling Mm -hmm. things like when you're walking, Mm -hmm. don't walk with your head down, walk like you have a place to go. Like you walk, like, you know, where you're Mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. So it was like all those little things that I would just like keep in the back of my mind, like remember that. And so just literally just like four years ago, I remember talking to that friend that who's a child psychologist. And she had said like, you're very reserved like as an adult, you're reserved when you meet some pe- people like you, you're, you can have conversations, mm-hmm. but as a person, I can tell you're very reserved mm-hmm. in the information you give out about yourself mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. 
And so she just kind of said like, you know, what did you, when you grew up, were you an introvert or like an introvert extrovert? And so I told her that story and she said, this is what I learned four years ago, the, the term, she said, your mom taught you survival skills. And that to me, that was like that all, it all came together. And then I think that for me, just even in working in the production industry, if this is what I'm going to do, like, you know, my favorite type of storytelling are those authentic Mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that when you're revealing someone else's story, it's easier when you can yourself make an authentic connection with them. And so it, it, so in a way I always think of production being my superpower. It's provided me that superpower of, I don't just talk to people. Like I'm not that person. Like I'm not going to just talk to strangers, but if I have a purpose if there's a reason for me to talk to them and a reason for me to learn things about them because they're going to be revealing things about what they do or what they think about mm-hmm. in life that is their passion and drives them, then I want to be authentic back to them because I know, I know because I am reserved where I'm not just going to talk about I don't enjoy talking about myself all the time like that. So I know that it's not easy. And if I'm going to get that from them on camera, then I need to have a genuine connection with them and make them feel like I am listening. And I think ultimately all those things, just the puzzles, the puzzle pieces came together, but you know, I always say like in real life, I don't know if I would ever talk to them, but because of what I do, I do get to talk to them and I learn from these stories. Like there's interviews I've done so many years ago that I still think about some of the wisdom that comes from the people that I interview. So it's been all around, you know, as, as much as I love what I do, it's a very fulfilling to me because I get to be a part of things that I don't think I ever would be or go to places i never thought I would be at if it wasn't for what I did within production in the production world. I think that's the best answer I've heard to describe. (laughs) Thank you, Charles. Seriously, it's it's an interesting thing to me um, because listening to you, I'm reflecting personally, which is of course what I do. a lot of people don't understand it, and I understand it now in the context of why you and I do get on so well. Um, people meet me and they assume that I'm an extrovert, and I'm exactly the opposite. You know this, right? But when you have to turn it on in pursuit of what you're doing, it's there. It's like a tool, and you access it, and once you've used it, you put it away again until you need to do, use it again. And so listening to you describe that so perfectly, I'm like, girl, that is the best way of describing this that I've ever heard. I've never even thought of it in that context myself, but that's exactly it. You will always be an introvert. You never change from it. It's just that you become empowered in terms of understanding how to utilize it when appropriate versus when you need to access another skill set to accomplish an overall goal. Is that fair? Absolutely. That is mind blowing to me. That's perfect. 
You heard it here. <laughs> Jane Davis. It's a superpower. Yeah, you just gave me a poolproof wisdom moment. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I Listen, won't... I'm done. That's it. I've <laughs> well, done my job. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. We still got more time. But here's the thing I want to get into with that. Boy, try that again. Specifically, as it relates to your mom and the you know, skills that she gave you, those survival skills. You had mentioned earlier on when I was asking about confidence, about the fact that you didn't have, I'm going to use the word hangups. And for anyone who that pisses off, that's the word I use. If you want to use another one, so be it. You didn't have any hangups going into the circumstances you found yourself where you were competing head to head with guys in an environment which was, you know, terrifically man heavy, right? That does go back to what you say your mom gave you. But even in the midst of knowing that you didn't have those types of considerations, I'm sure that people tried you from time to time, you know, whether it was mansplaining or mm. just feeling that there was a right and a privilege that was had because of gender. Even if you didn't have any big considerations where you walked in the door and thought, well, I need to make myself smaller so that they'll feel comfortable. How do you battle that? How do you face it in a way where you are still able to maintain your own personal sense of decorum? That's not what the world expects. Your own personal sense of value and ideology and creativity when everyone is trying to show you a place where they think you simply belong. How do you do that? Honestly, I think that part of that is, and, and I don't mean this in just kind of like being just like, it's not a big deal. It is mm -hmm. a big deal. And of course we've, you know, being in the production industry for, or not to age myself, but being in the production <laughs> industry for over 20 years, I've seen where it was when I came in and where it is now. Mm. Um, but, you know, there definitely, it's, awesome to see like a lot of young women it, you know, I've worked with so many young women here in Atlanta that are just getting started. And I'm genuinely excited for them because they get to see where now these big production crews, it's like 50, 50, there's like women DPs, women gaffers, mm -hmm. not just women makeup artists. I mean, there's men as makeup artists now. So, you know, they get to grow up on this side of, there's more diversity between men and women. And then I fully appreciate where it's gone, where it's come to. But I also was a part of when it wasn't like that, when I would be the only girl on set. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of women that are older than me mm -hmm. that even dealt with worse things that I dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that it's, it's not something that's forgotten, mm -hmm. but I just... De never and maybe it was part of me trying to like give myself an internal pep talk but I never wanted that to be mm. the overshadowing thing wow. and I never let myself feel intimidated even if I was a little intimidated um, going into situations of working with a whole new crew that I've never worked with. And that was, it was good training for me early on in my career. Cause I didn't really have a choice. It was like, Jane, you're going to go here. And this is the crew that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Now I have a choice. <laughs> That's what you work for. You right. work for to have that choice. Mm -hmm. But back then I didn't have that choice. And so for me, I always knew going into it that yes, I might have a DP that 
maybe doesn't want to take directions from a woman. I get it. Mm -hmm. But I just never let that be the overshadowing factor. And my, my, in my headspace, what I tried to focus on was again, that superpower thing of my purpose. My purpose here is to come here to interview these people, make it look good, tell a good story. And while sometimes I've had those experiences where I've had to, you know, have some good spoken twos mm. with, with <laughs> DPs back in the day. And those guys were a lot older than me too. So I think for me, it was not just that I was a woman, but also because I was young and you got these older, older DPs that probably see me as what's she going to know that I don't know. Right. Well, what they don't know is I'm the one that knows the content mm. that we need to capture. So I definitely have had those collision moments. Um, you know, that's for maybe another time, but I think that if anything, it's just something that it really is true. It makes you stronger and it makes you know that, you know what, I'm not always going to have to work with DPs that I don't know that I've never worked with, but this is a good learning experience for me. And I always try to think like that. Even today, I go through things now in production where I'm like, why did I go through that? Like what in the world, what lesson mm -hmm. was there for me to learn to go through that mess? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the influence that people good and bad can have in your life. Mm. And, you know, when I was, you know, right, like first few years in St. Louis, I worked as a, you know, paid intern production assistant. And I remember a lot of the, when I would go on a production set and I remember like my first Schnooks commercial that I worked on and I was a PA and it was just all men there was a lady that was in charge of crafty and the director was a guy. Um, and I remember the first time I saw a two females walk in and they were, one was the executive producer and the other one was a producer. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just that they were there, like they were there and they knew what needed to happen, be, what needed to happen. And I was as a production assistant, you know, I'm working for the producer. And so for me, this was like the first time I had a female producer that I got to work for. And I just thought it was the coolest thing to watch them work. Mm -hmm. And, and it made me for the first time, I thought I could totally do this mm -hmm. just by me seeing another female on set in the capacity that in the position that she was. And I just thought that's, yes, mm -hmm. I can do this. And so it's those little encouragements that, you know, I always remember. And then just like, even, you know, the first time I worked with a female director, um, first time I worked for at a young age, and it's like all those things build up. And then now I find myself in that position where, I'm the veteran and the, and, you know, it's like I said, it's been really fun to see, you know, the Atlanta production scene. Right. Uh, we all know, you know, Atlanta has got a great production scene here and the diversity that I've seen on set between genders and race, mm -hmm. 
that is so well represented here in Atlanta. It makes me super proud of the production industry that I get to be a part of. And at the same time, I find myself like in that, you know, there's this like sense of responsibility that I didn't really think I had before until, you know, being here and working with so many younger production women that are still trying to figure out some, some, they want to be in production, but I don't know what exactly I want to do. And I, that's a big point in what I do in my productions is when I work with PAs, guys or girls, I always ask them, what do you want to do? Like, do you know in production what you want to do? And if they're, if a girl is like, I want a DP, um, then I want to kind of help her as a PA. I want her to kind of work with the camera team mm -hmm. because I want her to learn the lingo and to see, is that what you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, if a girl is like, I want to be a director someday, mm -hmm. you know, or a guy is like, you know, I want to tell stories. I want to be an editor. I want to those are all things that I want to learn because I want to help them get to that point because I had a lot of great people that supported me throughout my career that have been great mentors that I still stay in touch with, that I still learn from. And so for me, that's such an important part, I think, to give people that confidence mm -hmm. in what they want to do in life uh, professionally. That's a lot. <laughs> to take on. It's a responsibility. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. It's a responsibility, but I, I want to get to that a little bit here too. You know, so often when you represent a group that is considered not majority in whatever the capacity is, there's this sense that you bear on your shoulders this responsibility for being perfect for everyone mm -hmm. else who you represent. So, you know, you've got a few categories that you need to be looking at according to popular <laughs> opinion. I believe that we are human first. And if we are happening to be individual things, I mean, I look in the mirror, there's no doubt who I am or where I come from. I know you feel exactly the same way. But I think that that excellence is something that we should be doing in a way that appeals to anyone who may look like us or come from where we come from, but it should be something that actually does it in the broader sense as well. Because it's easy to categorize someone as being unique because of their individual characteristics. We've got nothing better to illustrate that than the recent Supreme Court hearings where everybody was <laughs> making such a big deal about the fact that, well, she's a great black, I'm like, she's great no matter what. She just happens to be this. So talk to me a little bit about that responsibility that some people do try to cast on you, that you are supposed to be this perfect representation of all of the categories of existence in which you reside. You know, I think that one, I, I think maybe that's the key is I definitely don't, don't ever think of myself as perfect. I don't ever, I know if I, I've made, I still make mistakes. And then I think that it's all about the recovery. Mm. I think that it's so important as a leader in, in a production set. Um, and I'm just using, a, maybe I'm using a production set as like, yeah. you know, life or whatever. I don't know, but it is. <laughs> in, in, in production as a leader, you know, there's, there's, I think there's people who say they want to be collaborative, like, oh, I, I love to collaborate with people. 
And then there are people who actually are collaborative. And I think part of that collaborative energy is there's times where I'm going to make a mistake. And for me being a leader, it's not, it shouldn't be about ego. I think there's a difference also between ego and confidence. Mm -hmm. I think the confidence is to be able to say, oh yeah, I wanted to do that, but that's not going to work. Let's do it the way we were thinking, we were talking about in our meeting or whatever. Let's try it that way. That was our backup. Mm -hmm. So I think that that part is so important because at the end of the day, if, if I think that somebody else, if they make a mistake, to me, if they recover and they say, and they own it and they're like, Hey, this happened. And here's what I think we should do to fix it. That goes such a long way for everybody. Mm. And so I think that that part is so important. And then also I think because maybe it's because I've worked with, I've worked with women that weren't collaborative Mm -hmm. that weren't that. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't try to put that pressure on myself Mm -hmm. other than I'm just going to be Jane that in, in the professional world, in the personal world, I'm just going to be who I am. Cause at the end of the day, it's, I I'd like to joke that it's all about me, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, it's like, I want, if I'm going to go do this at a random hop farm or a cow farm, because I'm shooting video for something that I want to enjoy that experience. And so I want to carry that through the whole process, whether it's for the client for me, for the crew that we're working with, like it's, I want it to be, if I have the the capability of setting the tone, that's what I want to focus on. And so I, I try not to give it extra energy as far as like focusing on, well, what if the, and you know, then that's like adding pressure to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the confidence of knowing who you want to be in person and in the, in, in the perfect, personal world and in the professional world. And for me, it's not that different. Like Mm -hmm. there's, I know there's people that are like very different in their professional world and their personal world. But for me, aside from conversation, specific conversations, I would never have in a professional world compared to personal world. Other than that, like my personality, I just, I'm just always going to be who I am. And I don't, I don't overthink it. I don't want to overthink it. (laughs) I think that's when you get your get in trouble is when you try to overthink it or be somebody who you're not. That's when things get a little, you know, wonky, I think. It's exhausting, I would imagine, having so many different personas that Mm -hmm. from time to time, depending on whom you're in the room with, you've got to remember who you were to them last time. I mean, if you want, yep. if you've got that many personas, you need to become an actor or an actress or whatever so that you can do that thing, right? Yeah. And, and people have different, like I call them avatars where, you know, it's like they're one person one way. And then maybe down the road when they have kids, they think like, oh, now I need to be this exactly. person. I'm a mom now. And then they change their avatar and you're like, whoa, what happened? Right. And, right. and I think that that is always interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very telling how people come up with these conclusions about everybody else without having any sense of what they have been living with or living through or how they approach life in general. But boy, do they have an opinion. But to your point, Mm -hmm. let me not get on that soapbox because we'll be going another hour here. 
Jane, I want to transition now to talk a bit about the business aspects of this because the creative aspects are very well uh, defined for us here. You are a powerhouse in that regard. And I know you're modest, but I said it, you didn't, so you don't have to worry. But you're a powerhouse when it comes to creativity, but you're also just curious about what goes on. And I think that infuses that creative sensibility that you have. But then comes the aspect of, okay, I'm loving what I do. I do it really, really well. I am courageous. I am confident. And I continue to learn. That's wonderful. But then you say, hey, you know, I'm going to take this. And as opposed to just doing it, you know, for someone else all the time, I'm going to start my own business. Wow. What does that take to get to? <clears throat> Tell me about it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here. I'm gonna take yeah. us back, and this is something that you know. I don't know if I I think you'll remember, but again, it was a conversation right. that you and I had, and it was after I think it was after the Grammy party, Charles, and it was it was the Grammys when Chris Brown beat mm -hmm. on Rihanna. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, I was with you mm -hmm. at the Grammys, right. so we did this whole event after Grammy's party. And then we hadn't eaten dinner, of course, because you're working, I'm working. And I remember afterwards, you were like, have you eaten anything? Uh -huh. And I was like, no. And you and Bruce and I, mm -hmm. we went to like a Denny's IHOP. at I don't even know what time. IHOP. Yep, there you go. I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember back then I said to you, and it, and I mentioned it, like all those foundation videos I did, I said to you, like, Charles, like, I really love working on projects for you because I think too, for us to do what we do creatively, it is such a difference when you have people that you're creating for, when they know exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. This is what story we want to tell. This is how we want to tell it. Yes. Once we have that direction, then creatively, it's up to us to bring that out. And I remember telling you how much I liked working for working with you on videos because you knew what you wanted. And then I was like, and then it's just like, I'm surrounded by good people. Mm. And you said, well, isn't that the goal? Mm -hmm. And you were like, that's what you, that's what you work for. You work for the fact that, that you always want all your projects to be where, where you're working with good people. And that was something where back then I was young in production. So I didn't have that, those opportunities where I could build it. Right. And so for me, of course, over the years, I strived for that. I was like, that's the goal is, you know, production mm -hmm. teams, the people I get to work with, the people I get to work for. Mm -hmm. I want to just get to the place where I can be picky and I can say no to right. jobs. And I, if I don't want to work with them mm -hmm. because I've done that and never again, and then I can hand select people. And of course, for me to make that leap of creating a business, it was because I had an opportunity where a client was like, Hey, and I was freelancing and they were like, if I just, can you just do this production? Mm -hmm. And so it was just that moment of this is an opportunity, but I need to create a company so that I can have production insurance. Right, right. And of course, all this stuff 
wouldn't have gone to where it was for me to even have these opportunities to go for it. If I didn't have, you know, the support of my husband, who's just been my ride or die Mm -hmm. since college Mm -hmm. from the beginning and, and always encouraging me to go for it. Mm -hmm. And so when I had that opportunity, I jumped and it was that moment of, okay, now I'm at that place where I get to hand select the people I want to work with, the people that I want to create with. And then how awesome is that, that now we're really talking about the full experience, not just for me, but the full experience that I want my clients to have. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what was the motivation was that I worked this hard and I worked and I had this opportunity And while it was a little, you know, it makes you nervous to be like, that's a lot of responsibility, you know, having a business and the the level of people that you're hiring and all the paperwork and contracts. And listen, that is, that's like my least favorite part. Anybody in the creative world, that's our least favorite part. However, it's important to build the team that can support you in the parts that you hate Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that you can focus on the parts that you love. Mm -hmm. And then it's all worth it because of the level that I get to do it at now. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I do not take lightly. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you admit to that because I totally get it. paperwork, numbers, all that kind of stuff. You're like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. But yeah, who you surround yourself with makes all the difference. But let's go and look at the fact that even with that strength of conviction as it relates to those that you have supporting you in that regard, the last two years have sucked, right? It's been terrifically difficult. A lot of places have not been able to make it through, and yet here we are, Hype Girl Creative still stands. This isn't a definitive question because I know it's not black and white, but how did you continue to stay the course where you not only were interested in pursuing what you do because it's what you love, but also willing to find your way through the morass of all of the issues and business limitations there were because of a full-blown pandemic? Right. I mean, the the pandemic was, you know, I, honestly, it was one of those things that when the pan, when COVID happened, it was that thing of like, we're all going through this. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it wasn't so much where I could just be, you know, when people were like, Oh, how you doing? How's everything going? And I'm just kind of like, well, I mean, there's a lot of people that have it worse than I do. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to complain. And then it was just kind of like a, a waiting game a little bit of like seeing where, you know, where this was going to go. And at the time I was, working on a documentary and it was one of those things where we had to stop because we couldn't film. Mm. And then it was super interesting once we started filming in June, late June, where it was kind of like the first time we had to learn about all the COVID-19, you know, the rules and what we needed to do to keep people on set safe and the responsibility that we all felt to keep everyone safe. And then also cutting our crew size to half Mm. to make it so that we could social distance. So all, all of that, 
you know, I, I knew going in when COVID happened and then, you know, you had less, I had less client work. Mm. Nobody was doing anything. Right. Um, I had already uh, signed on to do this documentary, which in the end, it was kind of like, oh, you know, at least it's, I've got something mm-hmm. that I get to, you know, at least create still. Mm. Um, but it was one of those things where I looked at it and I thought, I'm just going to be open at this point to see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And what that meant for me was I, I, while I was still working as a director producer for select Charles select production companies that I like to work with, mm-hmm. I was still doing that. That was about 25%. And then 75% was like full productions coming through Hyperl creative. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it after COVID, I just kind of opened it up because I, it doesn't matter, you know, how, if the business comes, if the full production comes through Hype Girl, or if now I'm working with production companies that I like to work with, if the full production, if they have an opportunity and they want to hire me as a director, as a director, I'm still setting the tone. Right of the production Mm -hmm. and of the, like how the production, how the crew is, you know, all of that, I'm still a part of that control of my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I just started opening that up to the fact that, yes, I'm going to take on those bigger projects and direct. And it was ultimately because if I wanted to continue to get my own clients, I still need to continue to create so that I can show the kind of work that I could do. I can't just sit here and wait for work to come in because of how I want it to come in. At the same time, you know, running a business, there's things that there's certain things you can compromise, whether, you know, on the ego or no ego, mm-hmm. it doesn't always, the full production doesn't need to come through me. Right. I'm still working with people I want to work with, and I'm still creating really great content, mm-hmm. whether it's through my production company or somebody else's, mm-hmm. but either way, Hype Girl Creative is represented through me. And that's kind of how I've shifted my career and my company. And now I'm starting to find some more opportunities where I'm starting to get new direct to clients because of other doors that me having to pivot a little has opened. And so that's been a really good learning experience. Um, You know, just in the production industry, there's a lot of there's a lot of ego and it's, it's very much driven that way. And so when you work with people that aren't ego driven, it's, it is really more collaborative and people just want to make money doing what they love to do. And I think that that's what I've just fully embraced. I think just as I've gotten older in, in my career. I'm going to put that as we get ready to wrap here in the category of tough times don't last forever. But, you know, there's this tendency to, Jane, um, where we're looking at our professional lives in one capacity as if it's somehow separate from the personal life. But when you invest so much of who you are in a business, it's kind of equivalent. So my final question to you is, as we look ahead for Jane Davis, Hype Girl Creative, what is it that you've taken from the experience of these last two years beyond all of that wonderful information you just shared that is about resilience 
that taps into the idea that adaptability is the thing, no matter whether it's, you know, professionally or in life. But, you know, we see people who see things happen and they act as if because it may be the worst thing to happen to them at that moment that they can't survive, that they won't make it through. You and, you know, obviously millions of other people did, millions of other people did not. And for those of us who are here to go on professionally and personally, what is it that you have taken from this that is now something that you will deploy every moment in the future, whenever you think you're about to get in some tough shit and don't know how it's going to work out, that you will remember from this time that you'll use? You know, I think it's just not taking for granted hmm. of anything. And, and I think that, you know, for a while there, when COVID first hit, you know, we were all kind of like, what is going to happen? And then there were people that were like, it's not a big deal. And, <laughs> you know, it, it just, it, the way everything is going where there's things that, you know, just make total sense, but yet to some people it's not reality. Mm-hmm. I think that what that has shown me where I personally and professionally, I don't take anything for granted. And it is truly just like really being invested and being a part of something that might not ever happen again Mm -hmm. and not taking for granted those moments. And so I take that with, if I'm on a shoot, whether it's a big budget project or a small budget project, it's just something like this is where I'm at, where I am right now. And I might not ever get to come back here. And so I'm just going to enjoy it right now and, and think of it where this is part of me creating a memory. Mm-hmm. And I think that what COVID showed us is that not everything is permanent and that things can happen that just completely flips our world around. Mm-hmm. Where now we're walking around with masks all the time. I mean, who would have ever thought that. So I think it's just that whole thing of really, you know, showing me what's important Mm -hmm. and, and just enjoying all those moments personally and professionally and, and, you know, creating memories. And I, and that to me is, has become so important over the years. And then I think it just completely got completely escalated with COVID. And so even in the professional world, you know, I, I did a couple passion projects like years ago, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of got to be like work, work, work. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm at a space now where that's something I want to incorporate back. Right. Um, so I've, you know, got like two projects I'm thinking about for 2022, mm-hmm. where those are going to be passion projects. But that's been part of what COVID has given me was I've seen other people's resilience and I've learned from other people's survival of what they've done. And I'm kind of like, you know what, I want to just kind of take a moment and do some special things because of what I've learned through the past couple of years. And some of that is my resilience, but some of that is highlighting other people's resilience and ultimately just continue to tell really good stories and make really good content that other people want to watch and other people think is as compelling as I do. (laughs) Spoken like a true story. You brought it back to the storytelling and I love that because that is the nature of it indeed. Jane, we're going to wrap up now, but before we do, 
for those people who want to access the wonderful, talented, instinctual <laughs> abilities of Hype Girl Creative. Tell people how they can find you. Um, you can go to hypegirlcreative.com. Um, you can see some of the work there. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm not that great about social media <laughs> posts, <laughs> but I, I'll create it all day long. But when it comes to mine, I'm like, not that great, but I, it's just hypegirlcreative on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn at, you know, Jane Davis. Um, and if you search Jane Davis at hypegirlcreative, um, and I just want to say, Charles, like, this has been really cool to do this with you. At first I was like, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, talk about with Charles. And then I've thought about like all those times we've closed down restaurants talking. So <laughs> I knew that it wasn't going to be hard to talk to you. It just, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. And, and just also how fun is it that talking through this, how much influence you've had in my life. That's been something that I've never forgotten. And I wanted to tell you just a quick story real quick. Last night, my husband and I were at dinner and they were playing good music and they played a CeeLo song and he goes, Oh, I love CeeLo. Oh and I go, me too. I'm going to be on his podcast tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh my gosh, that's perfect. <laughs> so, so I have to tell you that noise. story. Oh, wow. And you know, I love that that story about you at the airport security oh, when yeah. somebody thought you were CeeLo. You hey, know, I love Cee that story. I see you, CeeLo. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> but, but really, I do think that for. Oh, all wow. the people that listen to Pool Proof Wisdom, for all the people that you've interviewed, I truly do mean it when I say you, my friend, oh, wow. are the ultimate hype man. Oh, well. And know. I have, I love that about you. And you're always so encouraging. You're, you always, you know, have the best advice. And that's one of the things that, you know, that's why I consider you a dear friend and a dear mentor. Um, and I've held on to that. When you left AB, I was like, hey, you and I, we're going to we're, we're going to stay in touch. Well, I am thoroughly <laughs> blushing now and I'm holding up evidence for Gio to see so he can see my palms, given that that's the only place that I can blush. So I am so thankful. And certainly everything that you said, I certainly echo that. Uh, I think that, you know, we all remain in people's lives for a reason. Uh, some people only for a short time. Those are the seasonal ones. But when people really connect at the heart and at the spirit, anything is possible. And you can go years without seeing each other or speaking to each other. But every time you really do reconnect, it's literally picking up exactly where you left off. And that's the nature of what we have here. And I am so proud of what you've created. And I still think, you know, when I use the term wildly creative, you're the first person who comes to mind because very few people can take all of the stuff that's in my head that I jumble out when I'm communicating it and literally manifest it without me having to have my hands on it myself. But you are capable of doing that. So thank you for your creativity, for your leadership, and for your humanity, because first and foremost, that is what drives everything that you do. Thank you so much, Charles. And it was great to 
talk to you and catch up. It's just like old times, like you said. And folks, look her up. I'm telling you, she called me a hype guy, but literally she will turn your stuff <laughs> out when it comes to any type of idea that you have. So thank you again, Jane. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Pool Proof Wisdom Podcast. We always enjoy the company. Be sure to listen, like, subscribe, and share using Google and Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, YouTube, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate it very much if you simply tell a friend about the podcast too. Spread the word. Until next time, keep on living.